There's a story my nan likes to tell. When my nan took my granddad home for the first time to meet her family, her nan, my great-great-grandmother, took his hands, turned them palm side up, examined them, felt them. And then she looked at my nan and she said, he'll do. (laughs) You see, my granddad was a farmer. And she knew that he would work hard for his family and that he would provide. My granddad was a farmer. He was an African farmer. He was the son of an African farmer, the grandson of an African farmer. The, you get the point. He was from a long line of African farmers. He was a farmer, but he was also a godly man. And my granddad had a passion. He loved to plant fruit trees. And he believed that planting fruit trees was a partnership between him and God. And it relied on several key factors, namely the quality of your soil. And my granddad was always going on about soil. Whenever you went past somebody's farm, oh, he's got great soil, he has. In fact, when he went to Newlands Rugby Ground, which was his favourite rugby stadium, he came back with some turf from Newlands. And I'm not sure it had that much to do with the turf and more to do with soil. Some may even say that the blood that ran through his veins was brown, not red. But it was also about how you prepared that soil, what you put into it in terms of water and nourishment, and then keeping it safe from weather and pests. That was my granddad's part. But after that, he believed that it was up to the Lord as to the sweetness of the fruit. And that's where the mystery comes in. I'm trying to preach here, granddad. Fair enough. Digging deeper. Are you all comfortable? (laughs) Let me get my glasses. Are you still sitting still? I don't like grandchildren to play around while I talk. (coughs) When Rob and his dad arrived at their campsite, Rob quickly got to the tackle box and his rod and reel. Come on, Dad, he said as he ran to the lake. Hey, Dad called after him. We've got to get up, the, get the tent up first. Ah, can't we fish a little now, Rob asked. Dad shook his head. Fun follows work, he said with a smile. <clears throat> Rob reluctantly put down his fishing gear. And together, he and Dad stretched out the tent and began to pound the stakes into the ground. Rob finished before Dad, but soon they were both ready to go. During the next couple of hours, they pulled in several good-sized fish. Suddenly, the wind came up. And when the light rain began to fall, Rob and his dad hurried back to the tent. Much to their surprise... One side had collapsed, the side that Rob had worked on. What happened, he asked. Dad stooped over and picked up a stake that was lying on the ground. See this, he said, pointing to the ground. You didn't pound it deep enough. Rob was embarrassed. He knew he'd been in too big a hurry. Putting up the tent was more uncomfortable this time because they had to work in the rain. Rob knew it was his fault. Sorry, Dad, he apologized. 
As they cooked the fish later, Rob grinned at Dad. We studied some verses in Sunday school, said Rob. Something about being rooted in Christ and established in our faith. Our teacher said, if our spiritual stakes go deep and we are well rooted in Christ and in God's word, we won't be tossed about by winds of false teaching or by difficult circumstances. Rob's father smiled broadly. Well, he said, you may not be too great at pounding in a tent stake, but if you continue listening and learning as well as you did last Sunday, I don't think I'll have to worry about your spiritual stakes. Thank you. I read that story during the week and it got me to thinking about roots and about stakes. And with the dedication coming up, I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a look at those fruit trees? I remembered my granddad because my granddad was a great storyteller. And I thought I'd share the fruit. Driven deep, that brings me back to the fruit trees and the roots. And the fact that roots really need to take hold in that prepared ground and spread and become entrenched and steadfast. Now the father was into soil. In fact, he created Adam from soil. Jesus was into soil too. Jesus told loads of stories about soil. He used it in many pictures. In fact, he even healed a blind man with some soil and some spit. Yuck. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I thought it would be interesting this morning to look at ourselves as vines rooted in Christ. So let's pick up my grandfather's story of the fruit trees. And at the outset, I would like to say to the parents that I am a relative novice and definitely not an expert when it comes to planting fruit trees. And I probably get it wrong as much as I get it right. But I think the principles are still worth having a look at. The first thing I wanted to talk about was preparing the ground. That would be the very first thing my granddad would do. I would want to go there and dig a hole. But my granddad would prepare the ground first. He would prepare the soil, then he would dig a hole, he would add fertilizer, water, etc., and prepare the mixture that was going to go back into the ground. He'd get the environment right. If we had a look at ourselves, are we getting our environment right? Are we allowing the Father and those he has placed in authority around us to work in us? Are we spending quality time with him? Do we know his voice? Do we listen? Planting and nurturing. My granddad would place that little vulnerable plant in the ground carefully and gently, placing soil around it, rich in nutrients. And as the tree got older, my granddad would do less and less in terms of inputs. And eventually, the only involvement he would have in that tree is an annual pruning. We nurture by reading the word, by praying by reading books, by worshipping, by fellowshipping with our young saplings. Bill Heibel says that they did, some, they did some, some research. They paid thousands of dollars for some research. 
because they wanted to know how to take people from point A in their walk with Christ to becoming Christ-centered Christians. And the results were startling because what they wanted to do was then build their services around that research. And what they found was that the major, the major thing that takes us from seekers and, and, and those really early Christians to Christ-centered Christians is engaging with the Bible on a regular basis, reading the Word. And then it was praying, and then being in community, and then learning to be servants. If I can pass on a love for reading the word, a passion for prayer, and a servant heart to my son, then I will have considered myself to have done well. But in order for me to be able to do that, I need to be in that place first. I need to prepare the ground. I need to be in the word. I need to have, be passionate about prayer. I need to have a servant heart. I need to learn to listen. My dad always used to say, oh, you don't need to do such and such. You don't need to do that because I've done that for you. But he would go and do the, exactly the same thing still. Children, people learn by example, don't we? The next part of the, the, the planting story is we've prepared the ground, we've planted it, we've nurtured it. We've then got to learn to guard that little sapling. My granddad would put a thing around it to keep the pests away. Keep the weather away. And sometimes he would even tie a stake and allow the little sapling to grow up with the stake. And that reminds me of another little story. There's a family sitting at a table. Mum's plotting an African violet at one part of the table. Little boy's sitting at the other side of the table. And he's got a glass of milk in front of him. His dad walks in and he says, you know, I've been looking through these comic books that you swapped with your buddy. And some of them I'm, I quite like, but there's one or two that I'm not so keen on because the language in them isn't particularly great. And the little boy says, well, Dad, I just gloss over the language. I don't worry about it. I read them for the humor. I like the, the illustrations. Some of the guys at school like that kind of stuff, but I don't like it. His dad says, well, you see, that doesn't really work for me. He says, because if I took a little bit of the soil from your mom's pot over there and I put it in your milk, would you want to drink it? Would you want to drink it? Of course not. A little soil, a little dirt, can spoil something beautiful. My gran- the tree had to do its part. My granddad helped it out. But at some point in that tree's life, he would take the guard away from around it. He would take the stake out. He would stop turning the soil around it, he would stop putting nutrients into it. And that tree would have to stand and rely on rain and and God's grace. And so do we. God doesn't, our father God doesn't have grandchildren. He doesn't have nephews, he doesn't have nieces. He only has children. We all have to learn to stand for ourselves at some point in our lives. We can't rely on our parents or our pastors or our teachers or our friends Forever. At some point, we have to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth. You know, in African culture, the whole village is responsible for the upbringing of a child, not just the nuclear family. And I'm a firm believer that the whole church is responsible for the spiritual upbringing of children. And 
done this morning. We had the dedication of baby Jasmine. And Dan asked us as a church if we would stand and be part of that responsibility. And we all said that we would. And whether we're young, old, whether we have children or not, we all have a part to play. They've done some interesting research in, the, in America at the moment, and I would say that it probably works for here too. They reckon that actually the teenagers only spend 7% of their time with adults now, outside of school. They're learning everything they know from each other. And we wonder why their belief systems, why their morals are all wayward. You know, if we took a group of teenagers and we asked them, can you teach each other how to scuba dive? I'm pretty sure that at least two lads in the group would say, yeah, well, I could do that. I've watched Discovery Channel. My dad's got a book on it, you know. But the results would be fatal. We as a church have a responsibility. When we take responsibility, we also have to be willing to listen. You know, listening is not, is not one of my strengths. And when I was a teenager, I would listen to very, very few people, if any. And I can remember my pastor saying things to me when I was a teenager that I just completely rejected, I wouldn't receive. And now when I look back, I actually realise he was right. You know, when I was a teenager, my dad knew nothing, I knew everything. And I got to my early 20s and suddenly I found myself phoning my dad all the time asking for, for advice. I want to get Dan up here for a second because we've got a little game that we'd like to play. I'd like to have a little bit of fun in the middle, if that's okay. Wasn't that fun? Give him another round of applause. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's from Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. While all that we're doing is going on, all that planting and nurturing and guarding, something else is happening. That which is underground, the mysterious thing, the mysterious goings on in the secret place. The thing is that God doesn't stop at creation. He's in it for the long haul. He also works in the secret place of our hearts. He sees into our secret place. He knows our secret place. No matter what the outside looks like, God looks at the heart. He's in the business of fixing hearts, of changing hearts. And by his spirit, we're changed into sons and daughters, heirs of the king. Earthly fathers give good gifts, but our heavenly father gives us the best. You know, what was my grandfather's point of preparing the ground and planting and nurturing and guarding? Was it to grow something beautiful to look at? Well, perhaps that was a bonus. But the main point was to plant something that would produce fruit. Who will bear the fruit of the vine? It will be those who are in Christ and walk in his footsteps and in his spirit. 
You know, in the children's department, we, we did a series last year on the gifts of the Spirit. And we're really encouraging our children to be released in the gifts of the Spirit. He wants us to be like his eldest son. He wants us to be grafted into the master vine so that his fruit is our fruit. And that way, when our fruit gets picked, it is the ripest, sweetest fruit there is. Galatians tells us that the Spirit produces the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, there's a poem I would like us to read together. And it'll be up on the board in a minute. And would you like to read this with me? Great. It says, Today I learned Jesus is the vine. With him I grow fruit very fine. Love and joy and peace are three of the fruits Jesus wants from me. Patience, kindness, goodness too. These are the things Jesus wants me to do. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits Jesus wants me to grow. If we become vines planted in the king's vineyard, then what if everything we have and do is not about us? Rather, it's all about God's glory being revealed, living for one purpose, to bear the fruit of his vine. What would your life, my life, our lives look like? Would those people that I asked to to pray, would you come up please? Do you want to start for us? Okay. We'll pray. Dear God, I pray for all the teenagers. I pray that they will grow and learn about you. I pray they will tell their friends about you and that they will know and that they will grow into wonderful adults who love and serve you. Amen. Lord Jesus, I would like to pray for all the adults here today. I pray they will continue to invest their wisdom into the teenagers and young people. I pray they will still worship and serve you with the heart of a child full of love and compassion. Lord, let them see the fruit of their works. Amen. Cheers, mate. Father God, I pray for all the children here today. I pray that they will be rooted deep in you. I pray they will be supported by every adult here. I pray we will love and nurture every child and teach them about you, Lord. I pray you will give each child the fruits of your spirit and every child will fulfill your purpose for their lives. Amen. Amen.